0: Thank you for joining us. I'm Senna Fadizzi from the Web Committee of the Respiratory Structure and Function Assembly, and today we are joined with Dr. Ann Malzer. Ann Malzer is a pulmonary and critical care physician. She trained at the University of Washington, where she also obtained her master's in epidemiology. She's an assistant professor at the University of Minnesota and a staff physician at the Minneapolis VA. She's also a member of the ATS Tobacco Action Committee. Research is ways to increase tobacco cessation among medically ill patients. Thank you so much for joining us today, Anne.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So um, this podcast, which is entitled Vaping as Portrayed in the Media, the Facts and the Myths, is being presented by the Respiratory Structure Function Assembly in association with the Tobacco Action Committee of the ATS and the Behavioral Science and Health Services Research Assembly of ATS. So, we'll get started with a couple of the questions. Um, so, just for basic knowledge, a lot of stuff which people may have already Googled, um, mm-hmm. but how how does vaping differ from hookah, shisha, just regular cigarettes and a cigar?
1: Yeah. So, most people, of course, are familiar with, with how hookah, cigarettes, cigars work, and, and obviously all of those devices Depend on directly combusting the um, the substance, so mostly tobacco. Um, e-cigarettes um, work quite differently. So e-cigarettes, just to make it uh, kind of clear, are comprised of both the cigarette itself, so the device, but then also the liquid that goes into the device, and there are almost endless variations of, of both of those, and so. Each device varies a little bit in how it works, but basically they all contain some kind of heating coil that heats the liquid, some kind of atomizer that helps turn that heated uh, vape liquid into a uh, vapor that can be breathed in by the user some kind of reservoir for the e-liquid, so the uh, nicotine or or THC-containing liquid, and then some kind of mouthpiece. Um, And that liquid is usually uh, mostly made of propylene glycol and vegetable glycerin, so this idea that it's water vapor is is obviously uh, incorrect. Um, And so commonly you'll see this referred to as PGVG. Um, And so beyond that, they... Uh, the, the liquid generally contains nicotine, most commonly, or THC oil, then a variety of flavorings, and then a variety of, of, unfortunately, contaminants. And the flavorings are almost all food flavorings. So they're, you know, legal to market as food additives. They, they carry a designation from the FDA that they're generally recognized as safe, which is the official designation, um, but they're meant to be ingested, not inhaled. And many of them have known pulmonary toxicities like vanillin or cinnamon aldehyde. Um, And so just like for cigarettes, the process of heating and vaporizing this e-liquid generates new, potentially more toxic substances like formaldehyde. Um, And so another way that they differ is in the regulation. There are extremely different regulations right now surrounding e-cigarettes and and one I'll call out is the rules about flavorings. There's been strict limitations on flavorings for combustible tobacco now for years, really limited only to menthol cigarettes Um, and a lot of municipalities have even stricter bans around the sale of menthol cigarettes because menthol uh, is likely toxic on its own and as the addictive nature of cigarettes, right now there's there's very little um, control over flavorings uh, in e-cigarettes, uh, and both adults and teens point to these flavorings as one of the main reasons why they vape.
0: So I guess the, the question is, can these products be quality-controlled, and if so, are they quality-controlled at all? So the... Fortunate
1: answer is on a national level, uh, not yet, um, although that is coming. Um, and this gets into some historical, uh, rules around, um, the laws around it surrounding tobacco and, and now e-cigarettes. And the biggest issue was for many, many years, e-cigarettes were not considered a tobacco product. And so as Not a tobacco product, the FDA really had no uh, ability to regulate um, e-cigarettes. So the FDA has only been able to regulate uh, product standards for tobacco products since 2009. Um, And it wasn't until 2016 that e-cigarettes were deemed, so you'll see it called the deeming uh, ruling, uh, to be a tobacco product, which gave the FDA some purview to have quality standards and quality control. Um, but from a practical standpoint, that did not mean that they became regulated right away. The FDA needed to call for data uh, about what, um, what should be regulated, what are in these, what should be the product standards be, um, and just the uh, practical issue of getting through applications for all the different devices, all the different types of, of e-liquids, And so the original date by which the FDA was going to start regulating e-cigarettes was pushed out several times until they were not initially going to be uh, taking applications um, for products until, uh, I believe, 2022. Um, And because of more recent data showing harm, there was a lawsuit brought against the FDA by a number of um, medical uh, professional societies and others Um, That basically uh, brought a lawsuit to move that date back, and so by next year, um, the FDA will be going through the process of approving and reviewing each product that has entered the market since 2009, so in the past 10 years. Each of those products will have to submit an application and, and go through a review process to stay on the market.
0: So in terms of the manufacturers of the products, um, vaping products, which companies or uh, countries would be the biggest suppliers and manufacturers?
1: So by far, most devices are manufactured in China, um, and that includes both the big names in uh, e-cigarettes and a variety of other companies. A lot of e-cigarette companies are just, subsidiaries of larger tobacco companies. So a lot of the same uh, companies that make combustible tobacco also make e-cigarette devices. Um, But by far, the biggest market share belongs to Juul. So Juul Labs, which is um, based in California, is by far got the biggest market share um, of the the e-cigarette market. And they have really been, uh, I would say, implicated the most in the huge increase in youth uptake of vaping. Um, And I'll explain a little why why that is. They were one of the first really widely available what we call pod mod devices. And a pod mod means that instead of older designs where an individual user would buy bottles of e-liquid and then fill their device themselves, instead the user buys pre-filled pods that just plug into the device. So it's a much easier and easier to conceal, frankly, way to, to vape. Um, and so as part of this, they designed an e-liquid that was highly concentrated with nicotine. Um, so for comparison, most previous devices would put uh, 10 to 20 milligrams per milliliter uh, of nicotine in the e-liquid. Juul has close to 60 milligrams per milliliter uh, in their e-liquid pods, um, and they use a different formulation, nicotine salts that make the vapor less harsh and the nicotine more easily absorbed. And so they made some changes to, to essentially make it more uh, more addictive and more easy for a new user to to start using. Um, they're made to look like USB drives, and they're charged in a similar way. And so that makes them small and uh, much more easy to to conceal than older what we call tank-type devices that you'll you'll still see um, more adult uh, vapors using. And so, as recently as last year, they had almost 60% of the market share, which is a really alarmingly high number. Um, but more recently, other companies have have released some competitors like Enjoy, and they're starting to make cheaper and cheaper devices. So, a starter pack of Juul cost about $35, but you can get a, an Enjoy starter kit for, um, starter cigarette for about seven bucks. So um, clearly mm-hmm. they're trying to capture <laughs> more of that market by, by um, dropping the price.
0: Based on what's being uh, reported in the media about recent deaths and harm that you actually alluded to earlier, um, what can you sort of shed some light on the science um, behind what may be happening in the airways when people are vaping?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to speak um, first about some of the the studies that we've been having for years that have been trying to get at what are going to be the long-term effects of vaping. Um, There have been numbers bandied around saying that vaping is 95% safer than smoking, but those are really um, unclear how true those those estimates are. Um, And so for years, um, basic and translational researchers have been trying to uh, quantify the, the harms to the respiratory system from vaping. Um, and, and what we know is that both the e-liquid itself and then particularly after it's been aerosolized through, through an electronic cigarette um, is toxic to cells. It's toxic to respiratory epithelial cells. Um, It inhibits immune uh, cell function, but at the same time induces chemokines and increases the presence of reactive oxygen species. Uh, And and again, these effects are worse uh, generally when the vapor is used. And a lot of this likely relates to the flavorings that are used, because as I noted before, many of these chemicals are known to be associated with pulmonary disease, so For example, um, the same chemicals that cause popcorn lung are commonly used in e-cigarettes. Cinnamon aldehyde is also common and is also directly cytotoxic. Um, I think one of the most alarming publications recently um, in the Blue Journal was looking at the levels of proteases in people who vape regularly and uh, trying to look for associations with, with emphysema risk And they measured the levels of proteases in in lavage fluid in smokers, non-smokers, and vapors, and found that these elastases were just as elevated in vapors as they were in smokers uh, when compared to normal controls. Um, And that's highly associated with the development of emphysema. Um, And so it it strongly suggests that we will find long-term respiratory complications related to, to chronic vaping.
0: So, do you think this, um, like, the induced lung injury that one can get from vaping, is potentially reversible if interference happens early enough? Yeah. In terms of stopping so, vaping,
1: the the recent kind of outbreak of um, vaping-induced lung injury seems to be down a very different path than than what we had been seeing, um, you know, previously reported in the literature. Um, and so I'll, I'll take a minute to review kind of what that outbreak is looking like and what, what patients are are presenting with. And um, it's, it's important to remember that this is evolving. And so the definitions that are being used right now to identify cases are not probably the, the clinical definitions that we'll ultimately be, be left with, but they're what we have right now while things are changing uh, really rapidly. So what we've seen is that Most of the cases in the current outbreak um, are uh, people who have vaped frequently, so the majority have been people who have vaped daily, but there are cases in people who have only vaped a few times. Um, Most of the cases, and we're up to over 500 cases, required hospitalization um, and we're up to at least nine deaths. Among those people who hospitalized in the largest series that we have, most of them required admission to the ICU. Many of them were intubated and and some required ECMO support. Looking kind of overall, most patients presented with some degree of systemic illness, so fevers, fatigue, feeling unwell, and many had GI symptoms like diarrhea, um, which were actually very, very common. But the unifying feature is that basically all had uh, hypoxia and shortness of breath um, and some kind of image changes. And, of course, that's part of the case definition um, for for identifying one of these cases. Regarding the imaging findings, some had imaging just consistent with ARDS on on chest X-ray, and then the next most common was CT findings with diffuse bilateral ground glass opacities Typically with some subplural sparing. I think the next most important thing to note is that most of these uh, cases had vaped THC oil, um, but but not all of them. Um, in the biggest series reported in the New England Journal, which which I would encourage everybody to read, only four out of five used THC oil. Um, so one in five reported only nicotine use, and, and many were using both nicotine and THC oil-containing products. Um, you know, here locally, we had a case who had just vaped THC oil a few times on, on vacation. Most of the patients were young males, but there have been patients up to their, their mid-50s, um, and most patients had a subacute presentation and sought outpatient care at least once before they were hospitalized, but a few, again, developed symptoms very, very rapidly. Um, So the takeaway is that there are some probably defining features, but a lot of uncertainty uh, still surrounding this. Um, Most patients improved pretty rapidly with steroids. So most were admitted to the hospital and treated with relatively high initial doses of solumedrol uh, followed by a steroid taper and what, what data we have to follow up suggests that most of those people recovered um, to, to close to their previous baseline. Um, but some of the sicker patients, those with ARDS, those on ECMO, you know, never do recover to their previous, um, previous baseline. On a cellular level, you know, not every patient had... Um, bronchoscopy or a biopsy, um, but a number of them did, and many of the samples sent showed lipid-laden macrophages on staining, but again, this wasn't sent on all specimens, and we still don't know the significance of this. It may just be that people who vape every day have lipid-laden macrophages, and so it's hard, again, for us to know if that's really the driver or um, more of a a marker of, of vaping.
0: So is there um, a database that's being kept um, across hospitals um, as doctors are taking the history of um, e-cigarette usage so they can share the data, or are they relying mainly on publications that are coming out now?
1: Yeah, so right now, even even the, the CDC still refers uh, back to the kind of few publications that, that are out, um, but they're trying, um, and so... Each state is uh, trying to gather data through their state health department. But in addition to each state health department, the CDC has a uh, centralized reporting um, site. And so any provider who suspects that they have a patient who might have um, vaping-induced lung injury is highly encouraged to first report to their state health department and then report to the CDC. Um, and then they will investigate each one of those cases. And in fact, they're trying to provide even more support. So, if, for example, your institution doesn't have access to some of the um, tests for lipids or tissue processing, um, you can request that service to be done by the CDC.
0: So is there um, a more systematic way that they're trying to introduce when taking the history of um, e-cigarette usage uh, for this purpose, or? Do you have any comments or tips when, um, you know, when a doctor does see a patient they suspect um, of e-cigarette use? Absolutely. So the one
1: of the big problems, and I think something we as a health care, you know, group of, of providers has to own, is that some of this probably went unrecognized because vaping is very poorly captured in our medical records, in our history taking, um, it's not in the social history for most uh, electronic health records. And so the CDC has released some guidance on trying to take a more standardized uh, e-cigarette history. And so they would strongly request that we ask frequency of vaping, so every day, how often during a day uh, that that the the patient uses the e-cigarette what brand of e-cigarette they use where they're purchasing their e-liquid are they using you know pods from a known company are they uh, filling their own making their own are they buying them off of the street and then what kind of uh, what kind of uh, liquids are they using nicotine containing non-nicotine containing THC containing uh etc and then gather also more information on flavors which are Uh, we think, going to be a huge part of of the toxicity profile. So are they using flavored e-cigarettes and what what kind of flavors are they using?
0: Thank you, Anne, for your time and for joining us for part one of the mini-series on vaping as portrayed in the media, The Facts and the Myths. We look forward to discussing more in the next podcast of this series. Stay tuned, everyone.